Well, how many of you have some really unique Christmas traditions? Anyone? Only one person in a room like this? Man, then I must be a unique person, because every Christmas growing up, we actually, my brothers and I, I had two brothers, Steve and Tom, we would sleep underneath the Christmas tree. And uh, so we would sleep there every Christmas, and we made sure that we found a way to do it. Even once we, we split up and we moved into our own homes for a long time, I remember actually sleeping under the Christmas tree with my brothers and my brother's oldest son and his uh, second oldest, uh, his, uh, his daughter Jessica. But at some point we felt like it's time for our traditions to, uh, to move on, you know what I mean? Anyone ever feel that way? Yeah, because once you start having your own families and you're going your own way, and now, tonight, my kids are going to be sleeping under the Christmas tree. So it's an exciting thing and doing things our own way. And, and, but I always remember growing up, we had a Christmas Eve service, and it was nothing fancy, just a time to get together. And we'd sing, uh, sing praises to the Lord. Sometimes children would get involved, do some unique things, but I've always enjoyed that. Today, what I'd like to do uh, as, we, as we get started is, is do something that I think we all do, probably, is read one of the two versions of the Christmas story. This last Sunday, we read the, the version from the perspective of the shepherds, but tonight I want to read from the perspective of the wise men. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, um, but I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem, O Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with 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 Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod they departed for their own country another way let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you so much for the Christmas story we thank you that it's not just a story but it's the truth we thank you for the way you revealed yourself to the, to the shepherds and Lord we thank you for the way you revealed yourself to the wise men I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. One thing I want to ask uh, when we think about this story, and, and hopefully you haven't heard the story so many times that you've lost sight of what this is really all about and what's going on, and just to, you haven't lost the wonder of, the, of this amazing story, but when you think about it, who were the wise men and why did God choose them? We talked about the, the shepherds Sunday, but why in the world the wise men? Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about who they are. 
the word that we find is actually magi. Magi is the plural of magus. Um, and so the wise men were magi. And uh, there's some debate over whether or not the word magic actually even comes from this, from this term. They were, in fact, astrologers. Now, notice I didn't say astronomers, but they were astrologers. There's a little bit of a difference between astronomy and astrology. Astronomers study the way things work in the heavens. The astrologers do the same thing, but they also um, put a lot of magic and superstition behind it as well, and uh, they use it to predict the future and so on. So they were astrologers, magicians. Does that mean they were believers? Were they expecting the Christ? Why were they expecting the Christ when they didn't believe in the same religion as the Jews? They didn't. Uh, they weren't. They weren't Jews at all. So I think it's kind of interesting when we see that God chose to reveal Himself to them, and how did He do it? Uh, well, I want you to understand that they did have some things right, even though they had many things wrong. They studied the creation, did they not? Well, when you think of the days of creation, and I, and we, I wish I had time to, to spend more time on this, but when you think of the days of creation, we begin in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was what? It was without form and void. Without form means it was formless. It, it, was, it was unformed, literally. Void means empty, unfilled. So God takes six days to reverse that condition. He spends three days forming, three days filling. And so we find on day one, God created light right? God created light. On the second day, God created air. God, God created the sea. Um, and he, he brought them up. And then on day three, he created land. All of these days, he's forming. And from this point on, starting in day four, you see how God is filling everything with it. Because what did God create on day four? Very good. The, the young ones among us know. They remember. So, um, so we, we see really the word is lights. It's interesting that there's a Hebrew word for sun, but it's not used here. There's a Hebrew word for moon. It's not used here. It says lights. We'll talk about that in a moment. Day two, what did he fill the air with? Oh, come on. You guys know this, right? Birds. Yeah. What did he fill the sea with? Fish. Yeah. That's what he created on day five. Day six, what did he do? He filled the land with land animals. Now, I want to focus on day four here because on day four, this is what the wise men would have focused on. This is what they understood, or at least looked at. Look what it says in, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. Right from the beginning when God created the stars, he created them with a purpose. When he created the heavens, he created them with a purpose. What does it say in verse 14? And let them be for signs and seasons. You know, it's more than just a, a pretty thing to look at, even though it is amazing. And, and God is by no, I mean, he is an artist without any... Uh, Without any argument, right? But it's more than that. He looked, and when he created the stars, he did it in a way. In fact, if you were to think of the, the universe created the way that our public schools tell you the world was created, they would say that it started with a big explosion. And what do you have when you have a big explosion? You have random pieces of material flying all over the, all, all over the place without any order, without anything. But the heavens are not actually like that. The heavens are created like a clock. 
They tell us the times, the seasons. When you think about it, picture a clock for a moment. There's one hand that ticks around, right? And it goes around every 60 seconds. Does the same cycle over and over again. That way we can measure seconds, right? But every time it makes one complete revolution, then uh, is the clock the same? No, there's a slight difference because there's another hand that is now one sixtieth of the way around the clock, right? So because it's off by that just that slight amount, now you can measure not only seconds, but you can measure minutes. And th- but that hand as well goes around. It goes around one time every hour. But every time it goes around, guess what? There's another hand that's off by a little bit. It's off by one twelfth. So now we can measure seconds, minutes, hours, day. And if you have a really fancy watch, you might even get the date on there, right? The universe was created like that. And so you, the, you, we have the, the sun that goes, uh, we actually turn so that we can see the sun uh, and we can measure days by that, but the stars are slightly different. In fact, I heard one said that if you had a time machine, you could go back to any day in history without telling the person what day it was. And if they had the right tools to measure the stars, they could tell you exactly what day they landed in. Isn't that interesting? You don't, have, you don't have that in a random universe. The Magi studied the clock. They studied the clock, but they didn't recognize the clock maker. This was their starting point. I think it's important to understand that. They, they studied the clock, but they didn't recognize the clock maker. Now, before we lift them up too high, I want you to make sure we, we understand what does the Bible say about that belief system? In fact, we find the Magi all through Scripture. We don't just find them in Matthew chapter 2. We find them all through Scripture. In fact, uh, if you go all the way back to Isaiah 47, and uh, I was showing this presentation to my daughter, and I reminded her this is not Santa Claus. <laughs> all right. But this is Isaiah. What did he say in, in uh, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 47? It says, You are wearied in the multitude, or excuse me, you are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come, come upon you. What he's getting at, he's saying to the people, you're getting counsel from too many places. You already have counsel from God. You have, already have counsel from his word. But what are you doing? You're getting counsel from all of these other people. Let them come and save you. Right? It goes on to say in verse 14, Behold, they shall be a stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall be... Uh, or it shall not be a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to sit before. What's he saying? The metaphorical fire is coming, and these people will not be able to save you. Is it enough? Is it enough to believe in God and believe in his creation without really understanding and having a relationship with God? It is not. It's not enough. And so we see that. Or we could go uh, forward to the New Testament. We find uh, a, a wise man, actually the same term used in Acts chapter 13, verses 6 through 10. And we read, Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here we have a magi, a wise man, and he's actually seeking to turn them away from the Lord because of what he believed in. Verse 9, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, 
and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Are those strong words? Yes, they are. And, and, uh, and so Paul recognized what, their belief, what his belief system was at that point. And at that point, if there's no change in that belief system, what does Paul say about that belief system? He says, it is full of deceit. You know, today, uh, astrology is huge, is it not? You see psychics on TV. You see all sorts of things. Left to, to itself, none of that stuff will give you any ounce of truth that is worth any good whatsoever. Isn't that true? And so we see this, but then I have to ask myself, if I understand the belief system of the Magi, why in the world were one of the only two groups that actually came and recognized Jesus for who he was, why is one of them a group of Magi? A group of Magi. Well, we find that uh, they were at least made aware of the truth through a, a person named Daniel. So I want to talk about Daniel for, for a moment. If you want to turn there, you can to Daniel chapter 2. I won't take the time to read all of it, but if you want to follow along, if you might remember in Daniel's uh, situation, um, uh, Daniel was carried out of his home country and carried to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he, it really concerned him about this dream because he had no idea how to interpret it, and he was the king of Babylon, and so he's, he, he went to his counselors. Who were his counselors? Well, Magi. So he went to them and said, I want you to interpret my dream. But, you know, anyone can say that, that you know, they can, they can come up with an interpretation for a dream. In fact, our kids um, uh, and I sometimes will play that where they'll, they'll make up a dream and I'll say, uh, well, I can interpret that for you. And we'll try and come up with some kind of goofy interpretation for it. It's just been fun. So anyone could claim that. So Nebuchadnezzar recognized that. So he said, here's what I want you to do, Magi. I want you to tell me what my dream was before you interpret. And all of these magis who prided themselves in being able to predict things. Because after studying the stars, you could predict all sorts of things. You could predict when certain stars are going to be in certain places. You could predict comets. You could predict all sorts of things. And so they were excited about that. But then when Nebuchadnezzar said, I want you to tell me what my dream is and then interpret it, what did they say? There's no way. There's no way we can do that. And they, they told him that the wise men were unable to tell the king his dream very limited in what they were able to do. And, uh, and so there, there are limits to what that is. But then Daniel said, you know what, King Nebuchadnezzar, no wise man can tell you what you ask. And so he, he, was, he was actually going to kill all, all of the magi. And Daniel said, no, wait, you can't expect that of them because none of them can answer the question, but I'll tell you who can. I'll tell you where the answer is. It's in God. And he tells him that God can give you the answer. And God can reveal the dream. And God revealed the dream to him. So he actually told the king his dream and the interpretation. And so we see Daniel was able to do it and he attributed it to God. Now what we find out, if we skip just a little bit further ahead in the book of, uh, in the book of Daniel and we come to the next king, uh, Belsha, Belshazzar, he has this great feast and he's taking pride in all of his accomplishments and they're getting drunk at their their festivals and so on, and a hand comes out of nowhere and writes a message on the wall. And I don't know about you, but that would scare me. It scares him. And, uh, and so he, he's not sure what to do. And so his, the, the queen reminded Belshazzar 
that there was a person in a country named Daniel and the spirit of the living God is in him. Remember that? He said, if you want to know what it means, ask Daniel, because that guy knows stuff, right? He knows stuff. More than what, she didn't even talk about the Magi at that point, except to mention, she said that Daniel had been put in charge of the Magi. I think this is an interesting link, because now Daniel, because the way he had saved their lives, she said, well, your father had put him in charge of the Magi. So now all of the Magi at least had to answer to whom? To Daniel. So when Daniel had a vision, when Daniel had these, had these prophecies that went long into the future, they would hear these prophecies, they would know these prophecies, they would get passed down amongst the Magi, but instead of understanding them and believing them, they just added it to everything that they believed. Does that make sense? But Christianity, the truth, is not actually something you can add to everything. The truth is the truth, period. Anything that contradicts it is false. Amen? And so, uh, and so they had access to that truth. One of those being, if we skip a little further ahead, it's Daniel chapter 9, when we find an interesting prophecy. In fact, Daniel said that 49 years from that day, there would be a decree. You know, remember what that decree was to do? It was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. 49 years to the day, to the day, there was a decree put out to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Does that add a little bit of credibility to what Daniel had been saying? It sure does. Now you might think, well, maybe he was just a real good guesser, right? Just a real good guesser, 49 years to the day. Well, it doesn't stop there. He predicts 434 years exactly till what they, he says, the coming of the anointed one. The anointed one in Hebrew is the Messiah. The Greek word for it is, anyone know? Christ. Christ. 434 years. That's a lot of time, isn't it? 434 years later, if you do the math, you follow dates, 434 years to the day, you know what we find? We have Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem on the day of the triumphal entry. Wow. Now, this is real. See, we're not talking about fairy tales. We're talking about, this is the book of Daniel. This was populated amongst the Magi. It was populated in the secular world as well as the Jewish world. This book was out there. And he predicts 434 years later, and everyone's thinking, yeah, right. 434 years later, they're saying, oh, wow, he was right. Right? And so we, we see that happen. So, so how did the wise men find the Christ? Well, they had Daniel's timeline, right? They studied the skies, and they followed the star. You, you put the information together, and there you have it. And, and so we see, how in the world did the wise men get from Babylon, Persia area, to, well, to Jerusalem is where they went first. But how did they get there looking for the Christ and find the Christ? This is how they got there. Now, what does that mean for us? Uh, well, it's interesting. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 29, it says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. This is something we see repeated. I just, I just chose a couple of, te- of texts where we see this concept in Scripture where of seeking God. And when we seek him, he makes sure that he's, he's found. When we seek with what? With our hearts, our soul. 
Proverbs 8, 17 says something similar. It says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. If you're seeking diligently, he's there to be found. The evidence is there. Jesus Christ himself said later in his adult life, he said, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, we live in a time where they treat Christianity, they treat the stories of the Bible like they're fairy tales, and it's okay to believe as, as long as you believe it like a fairy tale, but if the moment you believe it's the truth, then you're crazy. But you know what? That's not the truth. The truth is, if you're willing to, to, to look at the evidence, even the evidence points to one person as the center, the center, the key figure of all human history, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Amen? And so... I want us to look at some of the reactions in the text that we've looked at of where, where they were as far as their head knowledge and where their heart was. Let's take Herod for a moment, uh, the character on the left. Did he have the right head knowledge? Did he have at least the, the understanding, the belief? Well, let's take a look at verse 3 of, of Matthew chapter 2. It says, When Herod the king heard this, talking about um, uh, everything that had happened prior, about the wise men coming from the east. When he heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So just stop there for a moment. Did he have a head knowledge? Did he believe that there was any truth to this? He sure did. In fact, if he didn't believe it, then he hears of some wise men coming in to, to celebrate the new king. What would he have done? Nothing. Right? If you don't believe in it, you don't believe that he's real, but he saw Jesus as a genuine threat to his kingship. Why did he see that? Because in his head he knew, ooh, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. His head was there, but was his heart in the right place? His heart was not in the right place. He saw it completely as a threat. In fact, he saw, he saw his religion as a way to, to lift himself up in front of other people. That's not what... That's not what the truth is all about. And so what was his reaction? You know the story. We don't, I won't have to read it. But we have the, the story of the slaughter of the innocents. It's a parallel story to what we find in the Old Testament where they tried to, to wipe out the, the, the babies. Here we have wiping out the babies from two years old and younger, if you can imagine that. Having your babies yanked from you and he killed every toddler and under that was a male in the, in the entire town. Why? Just to make sure he could, he could kill the Christ. Was his heart in the right place? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. How about the scribes? I mean, surely the scribes would, ha- would be better off than Herod. I mean, he's a, he's a politician, right? We don't, we don't always like politicians. <laughs> but, but scribes, they're the religious people, right? And the, the religious leaders. Well, let's look at, at them. Uh, in verse 5, when, this is when, they, when Herod inquired of them as to where the Christ would be born. Verse 5, so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. First of all, were they right? Yeah, it's what we just sang, a little town of Bethlehem, right? They were right. For thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So their head knowledge was there. They had it. They had all the right information. But did that mean that they were 
genuinely saved? Not really. In fact, there's, in fact what we find is that their heart, I don't believe their heart was in the right place. And what evidence do I have in Scripture? The evidence is that there is nothing said in Scripture. They don't go and seek Him. Here, these are the men who have studied the Scriptures with their entire lives. It tells them where the Christ is going to be born. They have timelines telling when He's going to be born. And all they'd have to do is go to Bethlehem. How far is Bethlehem from Jerusalem? Ten kilometers. Downhill, nonetheless. They could have easily gone there. But there was not a single visitor out of the scribes and Pharisees that visited Christ. Not one. Not one. Even when the king comes to them and says, Hey, where is he going to be born? Where, where is he at? Right over there. You can, you can almost see it from here. They didn't take a step. But then you look at the Magi. Did the Magi have the right head knowledge to begin with? I mean, at the, at the beginning, when you take their belief system, studying the clock without, studying the, without recognizing the clockmaker, not at the beginning. But what about their hearts? Once the, once the information was revealed to them, once they saw the truth for what it was, they just pursued it and they followed it. And we saw that their heart was in the right place and their head knowledge came along. Next thing you know, their head, their heart's in the right place. And when, what does the Bible say? Old and New Testament. If you seek me with a whole heart, what does the Bible say? You will find me. And what do we find? We find them. Seeing the Christ. Not quite as a baby, because it probably took them about, we think, a year and a half to two years to get there from where they were at. But they came and they found the Christ. Got to worship the baby, Jesus. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? So when you look at, at the difference amongst, amongst these men, the big question is, who, who are you going to be? Are you going to be the, the person who resists Christ? Like Herod? Or are you going to be the person who well, gives lip service to Christ? Yeah, I'm a Christian, whatever. I'm, I'm a believer, but really your heart is not seeking after Christ. Or are you going to be like the wise man who says, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore everything I believed if I, if I have to because this Christ is the truth. This is where I'm going. Who are you going to follow? A couple of applications for us and, and we'll close tonight. Number one, genuine seeking requires both the head and the heart. I know that most of you, at least those of you who are, have been raised in church, you know in your head what Christmas is all about. But is your heart where it needs to be? To where this isn't about, well, what gifts you get, or, or even who you get to see that uh, you don't normally get to see, or, or having time off of work, or whatever. It might, it's not about those things. It's genuinely about the fact that Christ, God in the flesh, came save us from our sins. And it's a, it's a world of difference. It's head and heart knowledge. I'd also say, if you're truly seeking, maybe there's someone in here that's seeking. He, come, he came in here tonight because it's, it's Christmas Eve, and he want to know, is this true or not? If you're seeking, I want to tell you, the proof exists. In fact, if, if, you're, if you're a seeker, I, I don't want you to feel ashamed of that. I want you to know, I would love to talk with you after the service today. If you came here today and you're not sure about all of this, you're not sure if it's true and you want to see, I can walk you through and show you how, how, the, how God gives evidence to the seeker. If you're seeking with your whole heart. And you can walk out of here today knowing 100% that 
that you believe in the truth of the gospel. Also, I would say, if you've already found him, then you're going to respond in the same way that the Magi did. I want to look at those last verses in the, in the passage. Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. We read, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When you think about it, there's three things here. Three ways that they responded. What are they? Number one, they rejoiced. And in a moment, we're going to sing a few more songs. And I hope that it's not just singing familiar songs because out of tradition. I hope it's singing songs because of a genuine rejoicing because we know who Jesus really is. Amen? The second thing they did is that they fell down and they worshipped him. I pray that, that when we sing these songs, it's not just an act of singing, but it's an act of worship. We can worship him. And the last thing they did was they opened up their treasures and they presented gifts to him. Everything that they owned no longer had meaning because of what Jesus Christ meant in their lives. They opened up their treasures, whatever they had, and they gave it to them. And I, I would hope that, too, throughout the Christmas season, you'd be willing to give to Jesus, too. Now, Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore, on earth, in the flesh, like he was. But he makes it very clear in, uh, in the book of Matthew that when we give to someone in need, a genuine need, we're really giving to him. We're going to give you one opportunity to do that tonight as well. We are going to pass an offering plate. And that money is not going for the, it's not going for the building. It's not going towards staff. It's not going towards paying of anything. It's purely a benevolence offering. Money that as we hear of people that have a physical need, we use that to give it to them. We're going to have a, give an opportunity to do that. If the Lord lays it on your heart to participate in that, participate in that. But I'd say throughout the entire season... And really, as part of our lives, if we genuinely understand who Christ is, we're going to be givers, not takers. We're going to look for opportunities. We're going to see a brother in need, and we're going to help him. We're going to do something about it. And we see, we see these wise men. They had traveled so far. They meet the Christ, and they gave their treasures to him. Will you worship with me tonight with exceedingly great joy? And may we always be givers. Because it's really Christ who is the greatest gift ever given to mankind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for being the creator of the heavens. Creator of the universe. You've displayed your power in so many ways. And yet you chose to send your son in the humblest of forms as a baby. And just as the wise men found him and worshipped him, may we find you too, Lord, and worship you today. And I pray these things in Christ's name.